Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you, and you are a, an amazing God. We praise you that coming out of the Easter season, that you are a God that cannot be stopped. That here we're in our sermon series, The Gospel in Action, and we thank you for stories like Natalie's, Lord, where we have a high school student who you have convicted and you've put a, a vision in her mind of how she can serve you and minister for your name, and she does it. It's not in our power that we do anything, Lord. It's because of your power. It's because of your strength. It's because of your wisdom. It's because the Holy Spirit fills us. And so, God, this morning, as we worship you, as we continue to worship through your words, as Paul often said, I pray that you would give people ears to hear. For each person in this room may need to hear this sermon differently. These are your words, not mine, Lord. And I pray that we would receive them and be blessed this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, I kind of feel uh, out of sorts because I, I like to have a couple services to really work on my sermons and uh, get, get them down. So the 11 o'clock guys, you always get the best, but I'm just teasing. I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew, and I'm privileged and honored to be here speaking with you right now. And, and I'm proud to be a part of this church. Uh, because I see God doing amazing things in this church. I'm excited about, about Natalie's story because, again, when, when they first approached me with the idea, hey, is this something we can get behind? I've done big events before, and, and, and in my heart and my mind, I'm going, oh, I don't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole. But praise God that silly people like me can't slow down the gospel. Praise God that we have a gospel message of Jesus Christ that regardless of any of us, he's going to carry that message. And we can either be on board with it, or we can miss the party. So I'm happy to say I quickly righted my ways, and I'm, I'm going to get to participate in the uh, Pure Freedom event from the backstage, because guys aren't allowed. Hey, I want to tell you a quick story. I've got kids, and, and being a father of, of you know, some young kids here, I've got a 7-year-old, and I've got a, a 3-year-old daughter who, they're absolutely amazing. And, and I love them because they find normal things like paper, and they find the most creative uses for them. When my son Brandon discovered scissors, he wanted to cut everything. Uh, if you weren't careful, you would get cut. Dad, check this out. You can turn red. And, and he cut everything. And so one day, he's spending some time cutting stuff, and he, cut, he used to love to cut paper up into these really little particles of just paper stuff. And so what he found is there's this beautiful little hole in, in, all over our house. There's holes all over the floor. And that if you took this paper and you threw it in, it created a rainbow of paper. And I'm obviously talking about our heater ducts. And so what he got in the habit of doing was finding stuff to throw in these heater ducts, including food particles and everything that you could think of, and it would shoot out. All that to say this. There was a moment where he took a handful of balloons and threw them in there, and they did nothing because they were deflated. And I remember, I think it might have been, there was a birthday party, and we came home with some inflated balloons. And, and I'm sitting at night right after youth group, and, I, and I'm sitting in my living room, and, and I'm watching TV with my brother, and we're talking, when all of a sudden this mysterious object to my left begins to rise. <laughs> And at first it freaked me out, then I quickly came to the realization it was a balloon. 
It was just simply a filled balloon. You know, balloons are designed to be a specific shape for a reason, and when they're deflated, they don't, they're not in their shape. And so what happens is this, this balloon is in its shape, it's filled with air, and it's got this turbulent storm going all around it through the grate and the floor, and it's hovering perfectly, spinning, just kind of moving around. And I thought, that's pretty cool. And so for like a month, we left those balloons on top of the grate. And every time the heater would turn on, some of you have actually been to my house and seen this, these balloons would just hover and float. And you know, I started to think a lot about the church. Because I'm a pastor, that's what I have to do when I look at life. I have to think about the church. And I started to think, you know what, that's exactly what, what God is for us. He, he created us to be this, this, this design. He created us to be something specific. That no matter what the storm that hits... We should be able to float in that storm when we're filled with His Spirit. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about what it looks like for us to be a hot air balloon for a church. What it looks like for us to be a church that can weather the storm. And so we find ourselves in the book of Acts. Last week, we see that the disciples are told that, to go tell the story. Over the Easter holiday, we see Peter, who Jesus said, We're going to build the church. You're going to, the church is going to be built upon you. And Peter, in this moment of fear on Good Friday, denounces Christ, says he doesn't know who Christ is, and he turns into this cowardice human being. He runs and he flees. And then a couple days later or so, after Jesus has risen from the dead, Jesus calls Peter back in right before he goes back up into heaven. He says, look, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you, Lord. He says, and go feed my sheep. And he does this three times. He reinstates Peter. Peter had an exchange. He had this real moment with Jesus, the resurrected Lord. And now we find ourselves in Acts 3, in a very different moment. Because what you have to remember is in Acts, these are the same people that crucified Jesus. When we see the disciples in Acts 4, they're in the temple. In Acts 3, they're heading to the temple. These are the same people, the same Caiaphas, the same Pilate that killed Jesus. These are the same people that when they called Peter out, you're one of them, aren't you? He said, no, I'm not one of those guys. They know this man. These are small neighborhoods. And you do everybody. And so we come to our chapter today. The Holy Spirit has come down upon the disciples. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And now they're going out in the name of Jesus. And they're proclaiming the gospel message. The message that Jesus is Lord. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts 3. Because I have to start this story here. I'm going to give you the Jamie version. Because we're pressed for time. What ends up happening is is Peter and John are working their way to the temple. And what would happen at the temple is people who were not well off or people who were crippled or had something going on with them, it was common that they would be carried to the gates of the temple. This temple gate particularly we're talking about today was called Beautiful, the Beautiful Gate. And outside the Beautiful Gate is a man who has not walked his whole life for 40 years. I want you to get that image in your mind. This is a person that lacks the leg strength. My goodness, when we break a leg after a couple of weeks of being in a cast, our leg will atrophy to almost nothing. And we have to sometimes learn how to use that stuff again. Imagine you've never walked 40 years. You've been in a sitting position begging for the mercy of everybody around you. This was a very different culture. 
And people like that were viewed as a burden only. And so we have Peter and we have John, and they're walking to the temple, and this man is sitting there with his hands up. Anything for me? Have you got any money? We've all been to games, Steeler games, Penguin games, whatever, and we've seen those types of people outside. It's an uncomfortable moment. Peter and and, and John are walking, and they look at the man, and Peter says to the man, look at me. And the man in the moment, thinking that he's going to be given some kind of monetary prize, is not prepared for what he's about to encounter. Because Peter has encountered Jesus. Peter's life has been transformed by the resurrection. Peter, before Good Friday, was a coward, but you've got a new guy in town. This is a man that loves Jesus and is willing to give up everything. He looks at the man and he says, gold and silver I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now I can imagine at the temple gate there's all kinds of people around watching this happen. And when you hear the crucifixion happened a couple of weeks ago, this whole Jesus rebellion has not died down. And so what's going on? Now you're at the temple again. This is where the Pharisees hang out. This is where they live. Caiaphas, the man that put the, the, sentenced Jesus to death, he's standing there. They're, they're overhearing these conversations. I can only imagine when they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, some red flags, bells and whistles went off and the temple that day. It's bad enough that you've got people still proclaiming this. Then the unexpected happens. Peter looks at this man. He grabs him by the hand. He says, gold and silver I do not have, but what I give you, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. The Word of God tells us in that moment he grabbed his hands and he says the man held John and he held Peter and his legs grew strength. The man began to walk. He began to jump screaming, I'm healed! Can you imagine that happening in church? Just did. And so you have Peter and John, and I'm sure they did what you did, because in that moment you can't help but to have laughter, to see a man that everybody knew was a cripple, a man that could not even get up, who had to literally be carried to the gate, to the beautiful gate, is now jumping and skipping, and, and he runs into the temple. You're supposed to be quiet in the temple, by the way. He runs into the temple, and he's going, I'm healed, Look! And it's bad enough that we've got this Jesus rebellion, the Pharisees are thinking. Now they're actually doing stuff. And so not knowing what to do, Peter and John, are, they're having a good day. I mean, they, they're preaching apologetics. They're, they're, they're going off about the gospel. They start preaching to the people, look, you are the people that crucified Jesus, but you know what? He still loves you. He wants to forgive you. And he, they're going on and on and on. And the Pharisees... The, the, whole, the, the first family of, of the, the pharisaical ranks is just kind of sitting there. Even the captain of the guard is a member of this family. And for them, what this becomes is a power struggle because they recognize these Jesus people are coming in here. Well, they're, t- they're threatening our turf. To be a part of, of, the, of, the, of the pharisaical family, to, to be a chief priest was something you passed down generation to generation. And so this family... This church families, and they're not happy about the fact he just healed a guy. Because we can at least make up stuff about him, but when everybody sees what's happening, we got nothing. 
Not only do we got nothing, you've got a couple of uneducated, in the, in the, in the, in the original language they use the word idiots, you've got a couple of, of, of non-educated idiots running around with actual power and actual authority. It says the Pharisees say, we don't even have that. Who are they? And so what happens is, is because they don't know what to do, and this became the routine in this time, is they arrested them. They threw him into prison and they let him sleep on it. We're in chapter 4 now. I mean, they have shared the gospel. They gave a man his legs to the point where he can run and jump. That's amazing. It took me six months to learn how to use my shoulder again. And here this guy gets up off the floor after 40 years of, of being a stone and he's running and jumping. The Word of God tells us that on that day, and wrap your mind around this, there's there's not even 2,000 of us in this room. It says 5,000 people began to believe in Jesus because of the testimony of what the disciples had done. And and it's awesome because when Peter and the disciples, or when John are are sharing about Jesus, people are looking at them like, oh, look how mighty Peter is and, and John, they're awesome. And the first thing that Peter and John do, go, no, 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 this has nothing to do with us. Like Natalie did in her video. It's all God. It's the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus, the resurrected Christ. It's God. Anything that we do, we are nothing. We are the idiots. We are uneducated knuckleheads. But the Holy Spirit in us is doing this stuff. And in this moment, Peter deflects all the glory to God, all the glory to Jesus. That's beautiful to me. Then he's arrested for it. He's thrown into prison. Him and John... I'm sure are thinking they're going to die, certainly as Jesus did a couple weeks ago. But this guy is a lot different than the guy that that said, I don't know this man. Because we find ourselves in verse 4, and I'm just going to read the scripture to you. Because the scripture is just so good, and it's so rich. And and, and I just need to read it. The priest and the captain of the temple, this is 4.1. Temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed. Because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Let me tell you something. There wasn't exactly an an overpopulation problem in this city. 5,000 men is a significant number. You're talking about a huge majority of population because when they mention 5,000 men, they're not simply talking about men. They're talking about women and children. Their numbers aren't counted. So when you take into account there were 5,000 men, you can take into account there was probably one or two people per guy. You're talking about thousands and thousands of people have just converted because they saw the resurrected Jesus in action. They saw the Holy Spirit in men. The Pharisees are freaking out. The next day, the rulers and elders and teachers of the law, they met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other men of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. There's nothing more frustrating than when someone asks you a question you know they know the answer to. Amen? <laughs> But because of a legal proceeding, they did it. By what power or what name did you do this? 
And I love the way it says this. It says, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said to them, The last time we heard about Peter speaking in public on such a level, he was saying, I don't know that guy. And now he stands before the people that have the authority and power to kill him, earthly speaking. And he says this, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone your builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Again, the original language says idiots. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. Get out of here. And they conferred together. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with these guys? I mean, clearly they healed a guy. Clearly everybody's praising God for it. What are we going to do? Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done outstanding miracles, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, this thing like it's some kind of plague, to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They're afraid to even mention the name of Jesus. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak and to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whatever is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have heard. And after further threats, they let the disciples go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. The Pharisees are kind of dumbfounded. What do we do? And the whole point of this is this. I have lots of conversations with people. And one of the things that people tell me is they'll say, I'm not prepared. I don't know how to share my faith. I I, I don't have the right education or, or I don't know enough about this. Let me tell you something. Jesus took the disciples, a bunch of cowards, and filled with the Holy Spirit, they went out and they ministered to 5,000 plus people were converted on that occasion alone. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you have your faith in Jesus, I don't care how educated you are. I don't care how, what your job is. I don't care what color your skin is, what your social status is. God can use you to make the gospel go further. Any one of us. And he demonstrates that here with the disciples. And not only that, that he not only take a coward and make him courageous, he gives us a message as a church. Because when Peter is teaching the people, when John is teaching the people, he does three very specific things. He preaches about apologetics. He preaches about why he believes what he believes. 
He knows his theology. And not only does he know his theology, he keeps the gospel at the center of it. And at the center of the gospel is the message of Jesus. And so he teaches theology. He teaches what the prophet says. He teaches about Jesus. He teaches about the significance of giving your life over to him. And then he stoops down and he serves a guy that people in the church have passed by for 40 years. He says, get up and walk. And I guarantee you that man went on to be a missionary. We are called by God to take whatever He has given us and to use it for His glory. Who are you to tell God you're dumb? Who are you to tell God that you're not educated enough? Who are you to tell God you're not worthy enough? Because guess what? None of us are worthy enough. But it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do anything. When I look at this passage of Scripture, I think it gives us a very important message as a church as well. Because this is one of the first moments where we see evangelism, where we see the gospel being presented to people. And from the moment after the crucifixion, there will always be opposition to the church. There will always be opposition to people who want to share their faith. And it may require you to lay down your life for it. See, Peter and the disciples, they had an an encounter with Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. But when they encountered the resurrected Jesus, they were willing to die for that. And the church was built on that mindset. And I'm here to tell you, church, the closer we get to being what God wants us to be, the more resistance we're going to feel from the world. The more you begin to share your faith, and hear me on this, the harder it's going to get. I love the way that C.S. Lewis portrays this in the Chronicles of Narnia. When Aslan, the lion who represents Jesus, somebody says to him, Aslan, will it be easy? Will it be safe? And he says, no, it will not. But it will be good. And if anybody ever told you following Christ was easy and safe, they're a liar. It's hard. But this I tell you, with the power of the Holy Spirit in you, He can do anything. And it will be good if you've surrendered yourself to Him. Church, we can either be a deflated balloon or cut up confetti. Or we can be a balloon filled with the stuff of God. And when the wind comes and when the storms come, we can either get blown apart or we can hover in the storm and be something to give glory to God. As a church, we should expect hard times because people are meeting Jesus. As a church, we should expect things not to be easy. We should expect to have turmoil. But in those moments, we can't turn to infighting. We can't turn to bickering. We've got to turn to Jesus. In those moments, that's when we need to be getting down at the level with the beggar and and, and the people who are sick and we need to say, you know what? Come hell or high water, we're going to serve God. That's what we as a church need to be about. We need to know our theology. We need to keep the gospel at the center of it. And we need to be serving people. And I'm going to tell you what, church. We're going to have rough times. There may be rougher times ahead of us. There may be easy times ahead of us. It shouldn't matter. Because the leader's the same, Jesus Christ. The message is the same. It's the gospel. Come on, you can clap for that. 
The message is the same. And there's, there's a lot of hurting people in the world. The disciples, in their defense to the Pharisees, they didn't defend themselves. They defended the crippled man. And they glorified Christ. Guys, this is going to be rough. And that's okay. Jesus has seen rougher days. Good Friday was, was bad. And when you think about the severity of all the sin of the world being put on your shoulders, our problems just really aren't that bad. Amen? Amen. We're going to get through this as a church. And we're going to continue to see people meeting Jesus. And we're going to continue to see the gospel going forward. Because that's what God commanded of us. And so won't you pray with me right now that God will just fill this balloon of a church up with His Spirit. Precious Jesus, we love You and we thank You. Give us the courage to be bold. Give us the courage to know when to fight and to know when to just go, that's not worth our time. God, give us the courage to stand when opposition hits us. Because opposition of the world is one thing, but when opposition comes from the enemy, it can be hard and it can be heavy. But you're a God who is resurrected from the dead. You're a God who didn't leave us hanging. You sent us Jesus. And when he went back to be with you, you sent us the Holy Spirit. We are not alone. The word of God tells us that you go before us, you you come in behind us, that you've got us. And though the storm may rage, God, all around us, may we as a body of believers cling to one another and cling to you, worship you louder. As the enemy screams louder, may our praises become even more louder as the broken and the poor become more and more. May we serve more and more. God, may this never be about us. Peter would go on to be crucified upside down. He would lay down his life because he had an experience, a genuine life change with the resurrected Jesus. And God, that's, we, we love you. This church, we love you. This is, this is what we want to do. We want to follow you. We want to pursue you. So forgive us where we need to be forgiven. And help us to pursue you. Help us to follow you. Because the church is your bride, Lord. And we want to be what you made us to be, God. And we want to be a beacon of hope to those that don't have any. May the Holy Spirit fill each one of us. May the face of Jesus shine through our smiles. May the Spirit of God be on this farm. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.